a Polar Voices perspective with Margarita Johansson. My name is Margareta Johansson and um, I am based at Lund University in the southernmost part of Sweden. I'm also based at the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences, so I got a sort of a shared position between two different uh, institutions. And at Lund, I'm a scientist, so there I'm doing my own little research and I'm teaching. And in, at the academy, I am um, helping to coordinate a network of research stations around the Arctic. So sort of two very different hats to wear, but it's a pleasure to be able to wear them both. The main question that I, I, I address in my research is what will be the fate of, uh, of permafrost in, in northernmost Sweden in the future? Of course with the ongoing climate change and um, yeah, basically look, looking at the impacts on permafrost and then also looking at the impacts from a thawing permafrost on back to the climate system of course, but also look what's going on with the vegetation and, and um, I think also sort of the last bit is of course why should we care? It will affect people in the end and I think uh, when it does then, then it is something that is worth looking at. I think the two most easy sort of selling points are one that there is a lot of carbon in the ground that, that sort of when the, the ground starts to thaw then you can have more uh, a carbon dioxide and methane emissions. And of course that affects the greenhouse gases. The other one, the other easy selling point is of course that uh, when you have um, infrastructure on top of permafrost and, uh, and the permafrost starts to thaw, then you can have problems with the infrastructure. So by knowing more about the permafrost and how it develops, then of course you also know more about how you can work with infrastructure. So I think that is something that, of course, all the monitoring of permafrost can contribute to. I think I started with, the, when I was doing my undergraduate, I was taking some courses up in the north of Sweden on a glaciological station where it was sort of just, ah, the, you know, beautiful venue. And there you could see the, the climate change. You know, you looked at the glaciers and you look at the old photos and you could see, wow, things are really going on here. And then they're shrinking, of course, like everywhere else in the Arctic. And it was very... So then I got really enthusiastic about this sort of mm, Arctic uh, environment. And, and I thought, hmm, this is what I will do when I grow up. It's beautiful surroundings. But also, of course, because it is issues that really matters, in my view. I mean, you can... You can Whatever I've chosen to do, I've always wanted to be able to explain to my grandparents why am I doing something. So, and then I can easily say, you know, this is important because, you know, thawing permafrost, then we have this release of greenhouse gases, and of course that will enhance the, you know, climate warming even more. And, and it's easy to, and because of that, I think, yeah. So I think, I mean, I'm doing different parts of uh, research up in Arbisko area in northernmost Sweden. It's very subarctic, but this is sort of an area where, where we have thawing permafrost and it is thawing uh, quite rapidly and we have some sites where it has actually disappeared. So, of course, we didn't have a very thick layer from the outset but of permafrost, but, but still, you know, it took 10, 10 years and then it was gone from an area. So um, this is an area where things are happening, basically. Um, so what I have been doing, one of the things that I've been doing is that I have tried to simulate the, or simulate, but um, um, played God. <laughs> no, but I have basically uh, been simulating the future uh, snow conditions because for permafrost, uh, um, 
air temperatures and snow are super important. Uh, air temperature, of course, I mean, if it's warm, you don't get cold ground. Uh, but it's also snow because snow is like this big down the way in the winter. So it sort of really hits the ground. So if you've got plenty of snow, then it gets much more warmer in the, in the ground. And um, so for the future in this area, we, there are uh, scenarios saying that, that we will have an increase in snow or increase in precipitation in winter, which basically means that we will get more snow in the winter. So we had this uh, snow experiment where you have added snow uh, by just adding snow fences and then you have the obstacle with where the wind then makes the snow accumulate because of the snow fences. And um, the, the, we started that uh, manipulation in 2005 and in three years time we had already made a mess. During the winter, if you have a thick snow layer, then it heats the ground. Yeah, or yeah. Uh, but then if it stays on longer in the, in the uh, spring, you know, in the beginning of the summer, then of course you have a different albedo and you have, uh, then, then it can actually cool the ground. So it, it depends on, uh, so it can have sort of different, uh, different uh, egenskaper. I, I um, gave a talk to my son's class and they are 10 years old, um, not that long ago. They had just learned about the inland ice sheet and you know, I mean how the climate is obviously changing over longer time periods. But I went there and I talked about my little things now in the, what I'm doing. I used to do a bit of glaciology as well, so I've been to the to North Grip, which was one of the drilling sites in 2001, in the middle of the Greenland ice sheet and sort of. I think most people know about climate change, I would argue. Um, so isn't it more exciting to tell them about why they should care about that the climate is changing? I think if you try to reach out to, reach out to people, it's also of course always come down to why should I care about this? Okay, the climate is getting warmer. Yoohoo! I can have, you know, sunflowers in my, in my garden. I haven't been able to have that before. It's great. Oh yeah, but there might be some other things. So, but I, but yeah, I mean, it depends on where you are, doesn't it? And, and the audience. But in general, I would talk about impacts for sure. So, so my work with, uh, with Interact, these networks of research stations uh, around the Arctic, um, so that is absolutely something, I mean, uh, the, first of all, Arbisco, where I'm working, where I'm doing my research, is one of the nodes in this network. Uh, and of course, within this network of research stations, then we have many sites that are doing the similar things to what I'm doing, that is monitoring the permafrost and, and, and looking at the different impacts of, of of changes in the in the permafrost, so so I think there is of course um, connections, but usually I wear either of the hats. I usually go to two different types of meetings. Uh, one is of course scientific meetings when you go and uh, and you hear about the latest news, like uh, American Geophysical Union, you know this big fall conference that they have in San Francisco every year. That is. Wow, and so I think that is amazing in terms of for my science part because then I get very inspired and you can keep up to date with what's going on and so that is sort of one type of meetings. And then of course there are this type of meeting that we are attending now which is all about networking, uh, which is fantastic. So usually 
what you bring to these meetings are um, a lot of energy. <laughs> that ran out by the end of the week. Um, no, I, I think, I mean, uh, of course, what you want to get out of meetings like this is, is to make sure that you're collaborating with you, the people that you should collaborate with. Uh, and so I think they are very important uh, in terms of collaborations uh, in general. At meeting like this, I am mainly a, uh, I'm more of a, an admin and uh, science, well, helping to coordinate science rather than thinking as a scientist myself. Uh, and um, then, of course, what other people can help us with is simply make sure that they are using our network of research stations. I mean, we got this one-stop you know, one stop shop of research stations in the Arctic. It really ranges from the easternmost part of Siberia all the way around the Pan Arctic to, um, to Alaska and then also from the northernmost tip of, of, of Greenland down to the Tenshain Mountains in Kyrgyzstan. So it's sort of, it's a very wide, but we're all covering sort of the same topics, environmental topics, and it's all about terrestrial research stations. When we got this network of, of terrestrial research stations, we want them to be used, of course. And um, EU has been fantastic by providing support so that we can actually make those research stations more easily accessible. Uh, I mean, of course, you can go anywhere doing research, but it, it is such a big difference as a scientist coming to a research station rather than bring, bringing your own tent. This has been a Polar Voices perspective with Margareta Johansson of Lund University and the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences. You can find full episodes of Polar Voices and other featured perspectives at thepolarhub.org. Podcasts of episodes are also available through iTunes.